Hey, welcome to a bonus episode of Pop Culture Leftovers. Again, talking to another image creator. This time we're talking with image creator Melissa Flores about her book, The Dead Lucky. I'm joined with Joe Stark and Janine Daling, and we've got a ton of questions for this writer over at Image about her new book. And what's exciting about this new book is that it's part of Image's massive verse, which is a sh- uh, superhero shared universe that we first saw with Kyle Higgins' book, Radiant Black, last year. And now the dead lucky has joined in to the massive verse, which is very exciting. And she goes over some of the other books that are involved in this as well. But we really get to dive deep into this book and ask her a bunch of questions about where the series is going. She really opened up and gave us a ton of teases about where this book is going to be going in the future. And it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Some light spoilers for what's going on in the future of this book, but I'm glad she got into it because I am super excited to continue to read this book. But we had a great time talking with Melissa, and I hope everybody enjoys the interview. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat, but it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. It's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, take it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, paint, erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture, leftovers. And the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers, sure the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Hello? Hello. Hi, Hello. Hello. How are you guys? We're good. Great. How are you? I'm good. It is Thursday and my deliverables are done except for everything else. I'm good. Very good. (laughs) All right. We're very excited to talk to you about this book. Um, First issue, there was a lot going on in the first issue and... There was, for me, there was a couple moments of like misdirection where I'm thinking the character is like doing a Deadpool slash She-Hulk breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. And then after I learned that she's like, oh, I just, you know, she's in a, she's in a therapist session and Mm -hmm. she explains that, you know, um, you know, she, she was in the military, lived that military life. It definitely has suffered some PTSD mm-hmm. and is going to therapy to learn how to cope with this. And then throughout the therapy session, she talks to herself, breaking what I think, again, is the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. And that was even more misdirection because <laughs> <laughs> jump ahead to the end of the book and my mind was blown as to what was actually going on here. Um, yeah. So there was a lot for me to – I had to go back. I read it again. I read it again because I was like – and sometimes that's that's the sign of of a of a really good movie or comic book is the fact like I know when I watch a Christopher Nolan movie I was like okay what whoa I gotta watch this again because you get a yeah. different experience and watching it the second time and with this I was like I want to go back and I want to read those moments where she's talking out loud and put it in the context of like what I know now. Yeah. I mean, that was absolutely the point. And I'm really glad you said that because that's actually what I was hoping that people would do. What I, I what I wanted to do with a character like Bibi, she's so um, closed off to everybody living 
that to try to get into her head, we needed to find an unconventional way to really show people what she's thinking, especially in the first issue where it requires a little more exposition than you would want normally in the first issue because you have an entirely new setting. It's at San Francisco as you know it, but also as you don't. Mm -hmm. And we're introducing a lot of new characters. And so um, when I started writing the script and I was working with Cal Higgins, who um, is a serious consultant on the book and also it's part of his greater world, the Massiverse, um, the first thing I thought of is like she she talks to these these spirits and um, but I don't want her to just talk to the spirits. I want her to actually be talking to the reader because I feel like um, that I hope you guys don't hear that. I don't know what's going on outside. It feels like somebody is like doing a huge speaker or so. Uh, <laughs> But um, so the point was specifically to have her look directly at the reader as she's speaking and kind of throw people off a bit because you're used to seeing Deadpool or Gwenpool mm-hmm. or She-Hulk, those kind of people do it. You don't expect other people to acknowledge that she's doing it. And what I really wanted was um, that first page where she's talking to the reader to have somebody be like, wait, what what's going on? Be a little uncomfortable and then go to the next panel and have a therapist being like, hey, are you talking to me? And be like, oh. She's doing this in front of everybody <laughs> and be like, what is going on? And then her explanation of, well, the, oh, the, the army made me weird is the only thing that she really gives at it. And then what I really wanted was for that to be the mechanic all the way through. And then when you get to the end and you see the reveal that she's actually not just talking to you, she's talking to things that only she sees, that'll be enough for you to be like, oh, and then go back and see if you if you missed it or if there were if there were seeds to that before so that made me really happy that you actually did that already oh yeah 100% 100% it was uh, and there was there i, I mean I, you actually answered kind of another question i do want to d- dive deeper into the whole Kyle Higgins massive verse part of it but yeah. but first I also liked a lot of the world building that you've set up with San Francisco mm-hmm. and what's going on there and basically it kind of being a test area where they've implemented these robots to protect the city from this gang, the Salvation Gang, mm-hmm. and how some of the people feel like – it feels like some of the people are like, hey, we're losing our freedoms, we're losing our business, and then they're like, no – the government's here to do this for your protection. This is for yeah. your protection. Morrow, this company is doing it for your protection. And I kind of got like, and maybe I'm way off and you can tell me if I'm way off, but I kind of felt like it reminded me of the movie Demolition Man, where you've got like this yeah. perfect, you know, everything looks perfect, all right, above ground. And then below the surface, there are people that are kind of, um, fighting against this, fighting against what's going on. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading this, is the Salvation Gang really all that bad? I mean, listen to the name, Salvation Gang. Salvation yeah. is in the name. Are they really that bad? So a lot of, a lot of questions for me as the reader reading the first issue with, uh, with everything going on in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, I think the point between the dichotomy between the Salvation Gang, at, le- at least for me, between the Salvation Gang and Memorial is that is more is that both of them think they're the heroes of this story. Mm-hmm. And both of them are approaching this problem without a, with a terrible solution. <laughs> um, you know, the, the Salvation Gang um, represents, you know, anarchy and freedom in that respect. But when you do that, you lose a lot of when you treat everybody as equal completely, 
then the people who are ultimately disenfranchised and in a lower position tend to fall through those cracks. So the people that cannot protect themselves, those people are worse off than they are before. But then when you go the other direction, more, what Morrow is trying to do, which is we are the city of this tomorrow, lose where the city of tomorrow lose all your privacy and all your protection because we know better for you. You are basically removing the brain from the people who are able to make should be able to make their own choices. And the reason why I purposely put that in San Francisco is because it's kind of what's happening in San Francisco right now. Um, I was there while I, my, my girlfriend is from San Francisco, so I, I'm, I go there quite a lot. But when I was there researching for the book, I literally would walk through all the districts because I wanted to walk through them and kind of feel like I was BB. Just take, what, what does this look like? And it was crazy how scary it had gotten. Um, people were leaving their trunks open, their windows open in downtown because they were just so tired of getting their cars broken into. Mm-hmm. Um, once the sunset, like it just became this very neon cyber techie kind of creepy kind of place. Like even my girlfriend who lived there, it's like, we cannot be here. Let's go this way. Like you'd cross the street and things were so different. And what's happening is that all these you have this very successful tech companies that are that li- are originating in Silicon Valley in San Francisco that have like pushed out all these other um, lower income people and created this kind of um, gentrified situation that not a lot of people can afford to live in. Mm. And it's one of those things where you're asking the question is, can technology really fix everything? Or are you kind of forgetting the human element to it? And so that's really what I, I like about this book is that we're we're kind of we're not trying to paint this black and white image of, you know, the Salvation Gang is the good guys and Moro is the bad guys. There's people mm. in Moro who ultimately really do want to do good. Um, Valentine, who doesn't make the best first impression here, I really like because Valentine grew up in Modesto and grew up in a very poverty and poverty was had a very um poor life you know she grew up in poverty so for her Moro coming in and saying we're going to give you free health care we're going to allow you to walk these streets uh, without fear that's a dream come true she's like i'll give up whatever i have to mm-hmm. that meant that my mom didn't have to work three jobs so my brothers and i could eat mm-hmm. you know but um so you have people from Moro who ultimately think they're doing good but then you also have people from salvation gang who rightly are upset by this being like you're pushing out people that you don't think matter to do that. And that's not good either. But at the same time, they're also ruling through fear. They're not giving people a choice. They're like, we're going to free you whether you want you want it or not. And so into that kind of maelstrom comes Bibi, who doesn't know what she wants either way. She just wants things to go to back the way they were, but mm-hmm. that's no longer possible. So now she has to figure out what to do. Because it's not great optics for her to be fighting anti-fascists <laughs> like Salvation Gang, but also morals not going away either. Right. They're there with the blessing of the government, and she's one person. What is she going to do? Take on the entire U.S.? She's a, she's a soldier. She's not going to do that. So, what is the right solution for her? And I don't think she even she knows at the moment. All she's thinking right now is she has to protect Chinatown. Well, I, I do like how she does feel like she has somewhat of a purpose after getting out of, I mean, having PTSD. And she says it at the beginning of the book that basically she all she thought about when she was 
in service and active duty was going back home. But when she gets back home, what is home? So I feel like this book is doing something important with saying like, you know, even though you've come back and you are changed, you are different. There is a purpose for you. Um, Go ahead. Absolutely. It was, um, it was something that, uh, very heavily inspired by real life. My girlfriend is a veteran and I have a lot of friends who are veterans. And um, one thing I always thought was fascinating was the amount of training that they are given to do these incredible situations. I mean, Sandra is a helicopter pilot, a medic. She's had missions that she's never been able to tell me before. And yet when they're done and they come home, they're kind of just expected to forget all that and kind of like live this normal life. But it doesn't exist for them anymore. So um, how how they navigate that, I've always very much admired because you go to a whole nother country and everything is very high stakes. And then you come back here and nobody else really understands what you're going through except your fellow soldiers and you're not with them anymore. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, when you were talking about the state of San Francisco and what's going on now, it made me think of um, that movie that kind of touched on these things, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Um, and yes, definitely watch that movie. But it kind of feels like this is like post what's happening in that movie, like the way things could go and the way people react. Like you were talking about how there's two different extremes. You've got Maro and then you've got the Salvation Gang. And you're. I'm glad that you kind of clarified that, that it's both of them are doing things to the extreme. Neither is a good solution. Yeah. And I think that's real life, right? I mean, um, it's one of those things where we have to solve a homeless crisis in Los Angeles. Um, But just giving everybody a home without addressing the symptoms underneath, which is, you know, a lot of them have mental illness. A lot of them just can't find jobs. A lot of them have, you know, not a lot, but some have drug problems. Like you have to address that as well. Um, and it's, and it's just that ne- they're never simple solutions. Uh, everything's always gray. And, um, and I think that's really what I wanted to focus on when it came to this kind of conflict, living in an urban environment, because I grew up in the inner city. I grew up, um, I don't want to say the ghetto because I didn't grow up in the ghetto, but I have friends that did. And I understand it is a complete, it is sometimes um, like living in a war zone. Hmm. And I think a lot of, um, unless you grew up in that kind of urban environment, if you grew up in Compton or Watts or you don't, you don't understand um, the trauma that can inflict on you if, you know, you're used to gunshots and drive-bys and all that sort of thing. And um, as Americans, I think we do have, we're very lucky that we don't live like, you know, we might have to deal with something like that somewhere else. But when that does happen to us and salvation and when San Francisco does in this book, the, what I'm trying to portray in San Francisco is the idea is that there's no clear solutions to this. Everybody has to work together. And Bibi, um, as long as she tries to handle this on her own, it's never going to do any sort of good for her. But she, the good thing about it is that she's always going to keep trying. And I think that's what I really like about her character. She doesn't give up. Absolutely. I know uh, Janine and Joe probably have some questions for you as well. Uh, yeah, I was curious about uh, the the massive verse that you had mentioned that this was a part of. Um, 
I, I remember when Radiant Black came out um, and I remember seeing it and thinking, oh, this is something I got to read. And then it just got away from me. And and now knowing that there's a whole universe around it. And I know there's at least uh, one other book that I can think of that's on it. Is, is it three books now with yours? It's actually more than that, believe it or not. So there's three ongoing. There is uh, Radiant Black, which is the first that came out. Uh, Kyle Higgins, uh, amazing book. Please read it if you haven't. He does an amazing job and it's utterly brilliant, everything he's doing with that book. The second book is called Rogue Sun and that's by Ryan Parrott and that takes place in New Orleans. And uh, Ryan has done the Mighty Morphin Power Ranger books for a very long time and he's done other books and he's absolutely, utter, he's a genius. He's incredible. And Rogue Son is uh, an incredible book by him. The Dead Lucky is the newest ongoing, um, which is by me and it takes place in San Francisco. So they all take place in different cities, but then there's also mini series that exist. So Radiant Red is a mini series that came out by Cherish Chen. Radiant Pink is a new mini series that's coming out uh, later this year and it's co-written by me and Megan Camarena. And then the fourth big element is uh, Inferno Girl Red, which is a graphic novel that is written by Matt Groom. It was kickstarted. That is also part of the Massiverse and hopefully will be out, I think, either late this year or early next. And that takes place in a different dimension, but it is part of the universe. And when the superheroes cross, um, we do these specials called Supermassive that come out once a year. We just announced Supermassive 2 and BB will be a part of that superhero series so the intention is to have this overreaching universe with common elements and all common elements in all of them sorry guys it's been a long week <laughs> but um have the books themselves stand alone a little bit so that you know let's say you read the dead lucky and you read rogue sun but maybe dead lucky is not for you and you really like rogue sun you can still read rogue sun without being confused um and having to read dead lucky and same with radiant black etc but but then you can still get the added bonus of having these amazing crossover events and Supermassive. Uh, so Supermassive 1 came out, and that's actually the book that uh, debuted BB. She came in at the end like a Marvel credit. And um, and then the second one comes out hopefully early next year. I don't actually know. We're working on it now. That's awesome. I, I love the idea of an interconnected superhero universe and image. And And I know it's something they've done with some of their other properties in the past. But to, to know a new one is out there is really, really exciting. It's been so cool. And I think the really because the really fun thing about Image is that, you know, we're all the way Image works inherently is that we all own our own properties. Like that's what makes Image so special and why it's such a special thing to have a book with Image. And so um, a lot of people sometimes will come up and be like, how does that work? Like you guys are all like Dead Lucky's yours, Rogue Thumbs Ryan's, your Radiant Black's Kyle's. And it's like, well, yes, but we we have been working together for years. Um, before I became a writer, I was a producer and a development executive for Power Rangers for 10 years. And so, and Kyle and Ryan both wrote on the Mighty Morphin Power Ranger comic books for Boom Studios, who had a license for the book. So that is actually how we got to know each other and how we became friends since we were working on that book together. We had, um, so we had that experience of working together, staying within guardrails, making sure we respected what everybody else thought. So when it came time to do this massive verse, which all came out of Kyle, he started picking, asking his friends to pitch these books out. 
it was um, with people that he already knew, people that we're all friends with, that we all trust together and know how to work together. And so it, it does, it really works in a really fun way. And I'm really thankful that Image has given us the license to do that, like that, that they're excited about the Massiverse and that we can have fun and, and really just expand the world in a really fun, unique way. Hopefully we'll get more. You never know. Kyle's always got something in his head. He's that kind of guy. So <laughs> I think I think it's a brilliant way to to do these books as far as because I was I remember reading when Valiant came back and they had yeah. all the different, you know, um, Exo Man of War and Shadow Man and all these different characters. Um, it was like I'd read one book and then they have like this massive crossover. Well, I've read the one book. I want to get the crossover. And then I would be introduced to another character mm-hmm. and I'd be like, OK, I like this character. I want to go and read their book now. Yeah. And so it's 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 like it's it's another way for your character to shine in an ensemble group and then for people to be like, "Oh, I didn't realize that the Dead Lucky was actually a part of this. Yeah. I need to go back and read that because I've been reading Radiant Black. I like that, so I now need to read The Dead Lucky." And so I mean, that's not going to work on everybody, but it is go- it is a great it is a great strategy to get people kind of reading the entire massive verse. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a blessing. I'm not going to lie. I mean, this is my first ongoing series, and um, to have it with Kyle and Ryan, and to have it with Image, that's that's the dream, right? To be able to do something like that, um, and and to be able to have it be a part of that universe, and to be able to work with Kyle and to work with Ryan and. It's just such a blast, especially in the superhero universe where you're each trying to tell your own story and you each have different themes. Um, what makes the Massiverse, I think, so special and differentiates it from like a DC or a Marvel is that we really are approaching superheroes with themes as they exist today. We don't have, you know, 50 years of history um, of 20 reboots to tell these stories. These are new characters with uh, today's problems. You know, Radiant Black opens with... Uh, our hero protagonist with $18,000 or $30,000 in credit card debt and like $400 left in his bank account, just trying to figure out how to live. You know, Rogue Son, Ryan has said, is about a messy divorce. Uh, His own, taking on from his own life. You know, Dead Lucky is heavily based on my experiences with uh, with veterans and my attempt to honor their experiences. Um, and kind of put a face to PTSD and survivor's guilt. But we're trying to tell those, talk about those issues in a way that's fun. So in my book, yes, you have these heavy themes, but also you have robots and mech battles and electrical superpowers and a really cool suit that I'm really lucky just looks so darn good. Um, it's been a blast. And, um, and I really hope that people discover the books and, um, regardless of whether or not they like one book over the other, I'm just happy to be a part of that team. It's an incredibly talented team, and um, and I'm very humbled that I'm able to contribute to it. Yeah, the suit it pops. Like, yeah, I can honestly like see people cosplaying. As I really this. hope so. Yeah. I really hope so. Yeah. Um, it was designed by Federico Sabatini, who I think is doing Moon Knight now for Marvel. Nice. He's incredibly talented and when we talked about it i gave him i think three elements i said i wanted it to be toku inspired 
because I come from Power Rangers and I felt like as a nice homage to my roots, I wanted that. I wanted it to have a helmet because BB should be obscuring her identity, especially with Moro, who can do facial recognition software and all that fun stuff. And I also wanted it to be based on a Spanish Mexican sugar skull, the uh, Mexican calavera, because I'm Latino and I really wanted it to kind of reflect my culture in a way. BB's biracial. She's half Chinese and half Mexican. So I really wanted that to appear on the suit. And that's what I told him. And then he came back with these incredible designs. And then it was just a matter of like making sure that the color palette looked good and distinct. And at the end, we ended up with this badass suit that I'm so happy with. It just looks so good. And mm-hmm. I can't believe that it's for my character. Yeah, it like pinch myself every once in a while. It looks fantastic. I, oh, quick question before I forget because it's on my mind because I'm going to be eating later. Are Berea buns? Is that am I saying that right? <laughs> are those are those are those real? And where can I find them? Okay, they are. Um, if they're not real now, they will be soon. Um, I really wanted this book to be all about duality, so you're going to see a lot of contrast. So you know, she's biracial, so she's. Um, half Latino, half Chinese. And uh, a lot of that came from my relationship with my girlfriend, who's Chinese. And I feel like sometimes I eat more Chinese food than Mexican food, but she <laughs> loves Mexican food. And and so I was like, what if her parents just had this really fun fusion restaurant in Chinatown? And so I was like, well, what kind of combos would they make that sound really good? Yeah. And so Bidia buns, I like my Sandra, Sandra's really into Bidia right now. And I was like, well, a Bidia bun would be would kick ass because you get the consomme and everything. And so I, I put them in and then it kind of becomes a thing where I try to find a new combo. And thankfully, Sandra is actually um, a chef, not a chef. She's a cook. Um, she's a really good one. And so I was like, hey, do you think you could actually like make this into a recipe? And she said, yes, absolutely. So starting with issue two, you're actually going to see those recipes in the back of the book. That's awesome. Oh. And hopefully <laughs> at a future convention, we'll have maybe the dead lucky pop up restaurant. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, like we've been we keep joking that we want to do a radiant black cookbook. Oh, that's because awesome. we're like every every city that they're from is like food central, New Orleans, Chicago, San Francisco. I'm like, we could come up with some really good food. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'll have to have somebody else cook it for me though. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't go right over here. No, it's great. I think issue two is um smoked duck tacos with like a, a mango habanero salsa or something. I don't remember. Oh, that sounds yes, amazing. please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the city I I live right near used to have a an Asian and Mexican fusion restaurant and it broke my heart when they closed. Because they had the most amazing tapas that you could get there that uh, it would just melt in your mouth. Oh, my gosh. That sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. It's actually been really funny how excited. Fun, but in a good way, how excited people are about the BDI buns. They're like, are those a thing? Where can I go? And I'm like, I don't know. But pretty, I'm sure they're going to show up somewhere because people keep talking about how good that sounds. <laughs> yeah. That was like one of those questions I had to ask because I was starting to get hungry as I was reading the book. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Janine, I know you have some questions for Melissa. I do, actually. I'm I'm super excited that you're working with Image Comics. It's probably one of my favorite comic houses. Um, and you kind of briefly touched on like how that works with being able to own your own properties. So did that give you a lot more freedom to delve into the themes that you really wanted to go into, like covering PTSD? Um, the therapist in like one of the first panels, like almost 
is very condescending because she's like, yeah. you know, you're so lucky to have this because there's so many people waiting. Yeah. Um, is that one of the themes that like they allowed you or just gave you the freedom to really delve into and something you're going to further kind of expand upon? Oh, it's so different. Yeah. I mean, I, I also write, um, I am actually the new writer for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for Boom Studios, and that's a licensed book. So it requires a lot of, you know, notes and everything um, from Boom and from Hasbro. And image, there are there are none, honestly. Um, they literally just, it's kind of like take it and go. I had to pitch the book um, and I did that through Kyle. And, um, and I had, I put together like a, five page pitch that basically said here's a series here are the themes here's the story and the characters and here are the designs and and they said okay um they greenlit the book which i'm very excited for and then the rest of it honestly um they'll give like some notes maybe but mostly the freedom is incredible like they i have yet to receive a creative note from them um, they basically just um, make sure that the grammar's right. There's no typos, <laughs> um, that sort of thing. But when it comes to the creative, what the people that I think have the most input right now um, in our team, I have an editor named uh, Michael Busudel. I think that's how he says. I, I I mispronounce it every time. It was incredible. He does all the massive verse books, and then uh, Kyle Higgins, who. Um, through back market narrative helped get this book pitched and greenlit also has uh, quite a big say. He also consults on the book. And then obviously we have our artist um, French and colorist Mattia. We're all in this big group chat together. And so they are the ones that actually give the most notes. Um, Kyle and Matt and Michael do image does very little. They're very much. So this is your book. Just submit the book when we tell you to, so we don't miss deadlines. Otherwise go with God. So, um, so, yeah, the freedom has been incredible. And absolutely what I really wanted to do uh, with the character was, um, and especially that therapist, is that, you know, that therapist, and I think it's it's how we all can treat people sometimes when you want to dismiss um, mental health, where if you don't feel it, it doesn't seem real to you. And I think, you know, with the therapist, as well-meaning as she is, uh, she's not a soldier and she hasn't experienced what BB has experienced. So in her frustration, she says something that maybe she should not say. And, and she immediately apologizes for it. But I really wanted her um, to kind of be that person to be like, to have her grow along with BB. So you will see other scenes with the therapist and see her actively trying to connect to BB in in a different way. And so in order for her to be able to do that, we kind of start her in a session with BB that isn't quite working or still kind of figuring that out because she's not perfect and neither is BB and neither one. I think for her, it feels very performative, mm-hmm. you know, like here I'm helping you. I've helped a dozen different veterans. You're, you're one of them. Um, as the series grows, um, goes, you will see her again. And as she start to understand BB, you see her, her methods change a little bit. And, um, and it's one of those things where I really just wanted to kind of put a spotlight of, hey, we're not all perfect when we ha- when we deal uh, with people that aren't us. I mean, I have lost patients plenty of times uh, when I don't understand somebody's anxiety about certain things. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just kind of wanted to highlight that a little bit, being like, OK, we can do better. 
let's talk about how that happens, if that makes sense at all. No, it makes perfect sense. And uh, some of the other themes that you mentioned about, um, you know, homelessness in San Francisco and equity versus equality, um, you know, giving everyone a house doesn't solve the underlying problem. So I kind of like, and you mentioned that there's a lot of duality here as well. And I like the duality of the therapist who's going to grow with BB as well as addressing like the underlying problems is like, you know, you can't just slap a bandaid on it. All of it needs to be addressed. Um, yeah. yeah. The themes really resonate. Thank you. Yeah. It's been fun. Um, I think definitely it feels very heavy when I talk about it, but I, what I want is the book to feel fun as we read it. And then just to the existence of it isn't to preach or to get overly political, what I really just wanted was to make people feel seen. Mm-hmm. Um, not even try to, to, you know, to fix it or try to say, you know, this is how anything should be done or how you should address any of this, because God knows I wouldn't know. I'm just a writer. But um, I really just wanted people to feel a little less alone and a little more seen. And um, it was interesting. I did a, a panel at Comic-Con called... Um, I remember what it is. It was with Dr. Uh, Drea, who does Arkham Asylum. And uh, we're talking about mental health and superheroes. And after that panel, a woman came up to me and basically said, look, it's all well and good that you're talking about it. But what are you going to do? What are you doing uh, to help these people? And I was like, oh, gosh, I didn't even think of that. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to tell the story. I don't I don't feel like I'm licensed to tell people how to get better. Everybody has different experiences. But what that did lead me to do is to ask to put um, mental health hotline in the back of the book uh, to at least have resources. So if people do read this book and are like, I do feel this way, there's a next step for them to take on their own if they so choose to. Um, That's really awesome. Yeah. You talk about but it, it took oh, yeah it took learning for me right like it took somebody to tell me that to be like oh god I didn't even think of that I feel terrible let me help. <laughs> you talk about how you know the serious uh, uh, themes in the book, but you did mention fun, and there is fun in the book because when I turned the page and I saw that there was a mech suit in the book, yeah. I that's like two thumbs up for me. I, I I'm obsessed with robots and mech suits. I have been since yeah, I was a child. Too. So, yes. <laughs> and so when I saw the mech suit, I was like, okay, this is awesome. But then I was like, why is she using a mech suit when she's got these powers? She's charging it. I get that. But may, is it for protection? Is, are we going to see maybe the mech suit go the way of the dinosaur with her? Or is, it, or is the mech suit going to be something that kind of sticks around? Well, Bibi is... Um... She's not used to working alone. She's only really comfortable working in a team. And um, and I'm going to go into a little bit of spoilers here. Um, but uh, her platoon, who she's lost dearly, exists in these energy ghosts that mm-hmm. only she can see. And I think for her, being able to take these energy ghosts that just kind of haunt her and put them in these mechs allows her to feel like she's part of a team again. Okay. So she's essentially what she's doing is she's rebuilding her platoon in mech form, in robot form. So Ghost um, is not going to be the last of these robots. You're going to get to know the platoon. And as you do, you'll see her start to add uh, to her arsenal as she can. As the battles escalate, she will try and then get more support. 
Okay. Um, we can curse on this, and I'm just going to say, that's fucking badass. <laughs> <laughs> I come from Power Rangers. We live in the world of Megazords, so if I can combine robots in any which way possible, I am going to try. That is, like, my favorite thing in the world. That so. This is the hook for the book. That is awesome. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, she's okay with her electrical powers on her own, but imagine yeah. if she, like, gave those to a three big robots like imagine how much stronger she would be oh yeah. my god i love it oh it's okay. so exciting <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you for the spoilers because my mind is blown throw that emoji up right now oh my god <laughs> very cool very cool it's really funny because uh, we we're talking about supermassive with ryan uh, kyle and i was talking about like what would happen if bb went up against radiant black and he's like well it's not really a fair fight he'd kick her ass i'm like ow number one <laughs> <laughs> Ew. it's like you know because he's right. I mean, Radiant Black, his powers are wormhole-based, you know? It's like, what can beat a wormhole? I'm like, just wait till she gets more robots, then we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. I absolutely, I love that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's got me super excited. And and then for her to be a part of the larger universe, the massive verse, it's like, yeah. you've got to get those one-shots. I want to see how these characters kind of all interact with one another. It's very exciting. Me, too. She's... um. She has friends and she has support in mm-hmm. San Francisco, but um, she's the only superhero in that city. So it'll be really fun to see her interact with the other characters. Yes. I, and I kept thinking to myself, you know, while there's there's the moment that the the bots have left and basically like this part of the city is unguarded. And now we've got the Salvation Gang there and she makes her presence known. And yeah. there's there's a fight. Now, the thing is, it's like she's not only a target now for the Salvation Gang. She's also a target with Morrow. Mm-hmm. So that makes things very complicated for our main character. Yes. And, you know, what's really fun for me is, again, I was a executive for 10 years. So I would say her biggest nemesis right now was politics and PR. Um, when it comes to Morrow, because Morrow, they need the approval of the citizens in order to do what they're doing. Like they have a, they're kind of a sticky situation. If they don't have the overall support of the citizens, it's very bad optic. If there's riots in the streets from the majority of the citizens and they have to shoot people and bring them in to bring them under control and create an active military state. So when BB comes in, uh, and shake things up a little bit, um, they're not happy because now she's getting all that good PR from fighting the Salvation Gang. Um, and so you're going to see, I think, a little bit of, of a chess match between because Moro doesn't want to actively engage her just yet because she hasn't attacked Moro yet. You yeah. know, so if they go after her, if they're just a superhero that the city is rapidly falling in love with, uh, how does that look for Moro? And so you're going to see them play these little games of trying to undermine BB to avoid actively engaging her. But um, but she is going to test their patience quite a bit. And it's it's going to be an interesting relationship between the two of them, because, like I said, Morrow's not going away. So either they have to deal with BB or let her live. And there I don't think they even know which way they want to go yet. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> I actually have a little question about um, the police officer that's in here, yeah. Officer Garcia. Is 
she looks like she's already pretty much pieced together who she could be. Like she already mm-hmm. might know her identity. Is she someone who is going to become like almost like a partner? Like, or if that's too spoilery, or like a, some sort of protector of her identity? I mean, yeah. I mean, I would say yeah. Well. Maria's in a weird position now, like um, a slight spoiler on Maria. Maria is, was a detective um, and was a very good one before she did something that caused her to be demoted to be cop, which we, uh, we touch on a little bit in issue one. Um, So she's very good at what she does. And it did not take very long at her for, for her at all to figure out BB's identity. The question is what she does with that and who, where she, um, where she feels she could do more more good because she does have this partner in Valentine who believes very strongly in Moro's mission and also really likes Maria because Maria is a very smart individual. Um, But Maria is a cop and she is in that weird situation where she knows that uh, too much control is not a good thing, but also chaos in the street is not a good thing either. And so I think she definitely sympathizes with BB's plot. I don't think she's in um, any hurry to expose her tomorrow because she knows what will happen once that does. For her, it's going to be a choice of how much good BB brings to the situation. Is she actually helping the situation or is she making it worse? And that is a question I think that Maria is going to have to figure out for herself. I'm I'm thinking like this could be kind of like a Jim Gordon Batman kind of situation between these two. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't lie. I mean, I I think if if Jim Gordon and Batman had a little bit of sexual tension, and I'm not saying they don't, <laughs> <laughs> that would absolutely be accurate to maybe what might be happening with that the two of them. issue of Batman where he was wearing the free mustache rides T-shirt. Kind of tipped me <laughs> off. <laughs> But I guess it's a little ambiguous, I suppose. But yeah, um, no, like in, I apologize. Um, oh, I love that. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you've got the the who's the yeah the the representative from Morrow, and she's talking. And she's Valentine, talking about, yeah. Yes, she's talking about how you know we're we're doing our best to track down this you know this this vigilante or whatever, and and and. Right, Officer Garcia? And she's kind of like, I feel like she's just assessing everything. And she's yeah. like, sure, absolutely. Like, like, yeah. sure, absolutely. I'm going to give you the company speak here. Yes, absolutely. But on the flip side, I'm, I'm calculating as to whether, you know, it, if this person is on the wrong side of everything. Yeah. And she, well, remember, she stuck her neck out to do the right thing before and she got demoted for it. True. So she is playing her cards very close to the chest right now. She is not, I don't think ready to stick her neck out either way, but Maria ultimately is a very good person and um, her actions are going to reflect that. If BB steps out of line, I don't think she'd have every problem, any problem being like, you're going too far. I'm going to reveal who you are. But if she thinks Morrow is a danger, she will absolutely not tell them who BB is. Um, it really, I think, depends on what her assessment of the situation is. She's a detective. Mm-hmm. She is trying to solve uh, this mystery as much as anybody else. But what she does with that information, given that she's already been burned before, um, is really up to her. 
You've got, I'm telling you, you've already got within the first issue and just through talking with you, you've got some characters that are very layered. That yeah. I really like Eddie too. I think Eddie is a really great character. That, and he's, I'm, I'm looking forward to more Eddie because now he's in a coma. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully, Eddie's okay. I, I, I'll give you that spoiler. He's okay. Okay. But, um, I really like Eddie because I really wanted, um, I really wanted that person that knew her more than anybody else, but does not know her now because I think she needs that person to remind her of who she was. And um, when you add that extra layer of, he was also her Mm ex-boyfriend and, um, and they still have that unresolved tension between the two of them. I think it can make things very sticky for her, but through it all, there's this very real love that they have for each other. But it is going to be tested um, for sure. Because, again, he has an expectation of who she is. And she's just not that person anymore. And that frustration, I think, um, can speak to anybody who's grown apart from people that they love. I mean, when who you are when you're a kid versus who you are when you're in your 30s changes completely. And... Um, and it'll be really interesting because up until this point, I think Eddie has been very supportive of BB and tried to love her um, through some crazy stuff, which is, you know, I've come home and I have superpowers and I want you to build me a giant robot. But Eddie has <laughs> his his own demons. You know, we're going to talk about what, what Eddie has done. You're going to speak to a little bit in this coming seasons. He's not happy where he is either. And there's a reason why he's helping her against Moro and why he has a personal vendetta against Moro as well so he has his own goals and whether they always align with bb remains to be seen so with with all these like very many layered characters that you've introduced just so far in issue one um i i know writers you know as they as they create these characters and they get to know them uh they can develop you know kind of different <laughs> different feelings on different characters. Have we met your favorite character in this story yet? Um, I think my favorite character is probably ghost. So I would say yes and no, (laughs) 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 because um, you do see glimpses into her past army life and, um, and her platoon. And I really like ghost. I think he's a really fun, badass character and, um, who he is now versus who he was as a living person are, are two very different things, but you're going to start to see a little bit of that bleed. And, um, and he, he really affected BB and he was essentially the closest friend she's ever had. So you get to really see, um, how his loss has, has changed her, um, and it's that, that I think that'll be fun once you see more ghosts and you see those platoon members and what they've done. And it's really fun because, again, my I have friends that are veterans through my girlfriend who's a veteran. And I actually have her read every every script and um, every lettering draft just to make sure things are accurate. And so they feel authentic to that life. Um because I, I don't know, <laughs> but but I love the dynamic that it brings because it is one of those things where you share these incredibly uh, traumatic situations together and you work together as a team so hard that when you don't have that anymore, it's a very real loss. Um, it's what happens when cast members go on a movie or when you work on a very specific group project together for a really long time and it's very hard and then you come out of it um, and you kind of miss it a little bit. Like there's a hole left in your heart. And um 
and unfortunately for BB, um, we are able to move on um, and heal. Um, I don't know if she can because they literally follow her. They are ghosts, these energy ghosts that are literally with her. So she, I don't know if she's physically capable of moving beyond her grief right now because she is literally living between the, she's stuck between the, the living and the dead. And the only way for her to heal, I think, is to move on completely from that. But if she does that, she doesn't have powers anymore. And so it's kind of a tragic conundrum for her. Or it's one of those things where I don't know if she'll ever truly uh, be able to connect with the people that are trying to care so aggressively about her, including her parents and Eddie and eventually Maria, hopefully, uh, without still living this world that she's talking with these ghosts that she's talking to because she connects, she's much more honest with them than she is with the people that are actually living in her life. It makes a very interesting dilemma for your main character that that these people, she, you know, she didn't have these powers. It would be getting over the loss of somebody, but how do you get over the loss of somebody when you haven't really lost them? Yeah. Yeah. You can't, I mean, how, how do you move on? I, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you, if there are no boundaries and they're still with you all the time, how, how, how do you heal? Especially when you need them for your own survival, essentially, you know, her way of coping is becoming this masked superhero. And if she doesn't have that, then she has to confront the reality that she is no longer a soldier, that she has real, no direct, no real direction here, that she doesn't know who she is anymore. She has to confront every single one of these things. And I don't think she wants to, because that requires a lot of therapy that she doesn't like. And a lot of uh, dealing with some painful truths that she's maybe not as okay, or just, you know, just we just the army made me weird. Uh, is not what's just happening to her. And I don't think she's ready to deal with that yet. It is kind of cool, though. It's like one last mission. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like there's something there's something really beautiful about that. I mean, she definitely had personal relationships with her platoon, and, and this is like one last mission. But then again, how... How good is this for your mental state and recovery? So, yeah, yeah it's, it's asking some very cool questions and it's making the character um, very interesting to follow. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, what I, we're, um, I, I mean, issue two is coming out next week. Um, we scripted, you know, three's colors are in, they're gorgeous. Um, and I just, I finished the script for four and five is being written now. So, uh, the really cool thing about it is that um, seeing how people react to the book um, allows me to gives me inspiration as to where to take the book mm. to, if that makes sense. And um, and it's been honestly a blessing to to hear. But I had no idea how people were going to react to this book because it does feel very different than um, the other stuff that you see out there. But thankfully, um, people seem to be more or less into it, and I'm really grateful and excited for that because it is it is different you're asking to to kind of dive into a kind of weird world and there's a lot of exposition and it's kind of a it's it's a ambitious first issue but um but i had a blast with it and and i hope that people continue to stay on board with bb's journey because i just love her so much and i really enjoy her journey and um and i hope people like where we take it 
Wow. These themes are so like, they're a little bit more deeper than I realized on my first reading through this. So I'm excited to continue to reread this until the second issue comes out and <laughs> see how these, um, and see how these characters really grow. You said that your girlfriend, um, she goes over the script to, to make sure that everything's uh, like true and accurate and that she is, and that BB is inspired by her. Um, you said that you mentioned that um, you're hoping that maybe Maria becomes like a, a love interest or at least the sexual tension is there. Did you base yourself on that character or, or do you see yourself a little bit in that character? Um, no, actually, you know, Maria, um, actually it's funny because Sandra calls um, BB our child. <laughs> because she's half Mexican, half Chinese. So I think if there was anybody that I, that was in that book, that might be a little bit me. I think it's BB because I talk to myself all the time. That's uh, oh, so awesome. <laughs> but um, Maria, believe it or not, Maria um, was inspired uh, by a character in Person of Interest. Did you? Ever, I don't know if you've ever seen that show. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's a really good show. Um, it is essentially the, the idea is that somebody invents a machine that can basically log into every video camera and every video feed ever and can pinpoint somebody anywhere in the world. And basically what they do is identify crimes before they happen. Mm. Um, but doing that, you get a loss of privacy because the government has gotten a hold of it. And Detective Carter, who is played by uh, Tariji P. Henson before she went on Empire, uh, Taraji, Taraji, she um she is a detective who is just trying to be a good cop and um and encountering resistance everywhere she goes and a lot of times is punished for being a good cop and i just loved that character so much and i just wanted to pay homage to it a little bit with maria that's oh, where that's maria came cool. from yeah that's very cool that is cool yeah i think my I, my dad watches that show so Oh, it is so good. The first season was a little um, episodic. Uh-huh. Like, it was very, like, person of the week kind of thing. Yeah. Um, once they started getting into the lore with Samaritan and the machine and all these different, like, there was a rival machine that came in. It just, wonderful. Brilliant show. I I love it a lot. Very cool. Yeah. Um, do you have kind of an end game figured out But for this series? Um maybe that makes it difficult with the massive verse kind of being like an ongoing thing. Um, yeah. Or I think, Oh, go ahead. Oh no, no I was just going to say, I think for BB, her end game is um, healing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, finally healing. I think the book is done when BB um, finally confronts the fact that she's maybe not okay. But um, I don't see that happening for quite a few issues, I think. And um and until then, we're going to have a lot of fun uh, with her just just figuring out where she stands in San Francisco and how what it means to be a superhero, because that is not what she sees herself right now. I do have basically a, a year planned out. Um, I have six art. We uh, I have a six arc planned initially just in case the book doesn't do well (laughs) that's all i get um if i can get more than that uh if i can get a year that'd be fantastic um because i think um once we get into issue seven eight nine ten eleven twelve it gets really fun and um and you see some some different characters come in and uh, really change things up and so i'm excited for that arc too because i think it'll uh, show a different side of bb and a different side of morrow that people are expecting yeah definitely seeing uh more 
more on the side of Morrow. I do want to see like different. Personally, I'd love to see different like mech suits. You know, like different yes. the way that they're gonna they're gonna look. I I know that this one had kind of like um almost like a uh it, they were. Uh, the mech suit was so powerful. It was like a Hulk buster and the, yeah. the hands slam down, shake the ground. Salvation gang goes flying. I'm like, okay, other mech suits. Are they going to have different abilities now that they're powered up? Um, is Eddie going to be working on all these mech suits? So oh, I don't want to say too much, but what sure. I will give you is the name of the platoon members. And if you get their names, you might be able to see what kind of, robots they eventually end up with so we have ghost who you've met already mm-hmm. spaceman and tanky those are her three <laughs> closest excellent so that <laughs> might give you a hint as to the kind of function that they might have performed and how that might be reflected in, in the robots that they eventually hopefully will inhabit very cool i want to see the suit that tanky has yeah that was immediately <laughs> what dragged me <laughs> I don't think you'll be able to miss it, Joe. No, I can't wait. <laughs> in issue two, she does fight, I think, a really fun air, um, robot um, in uh, the Salvation Gang. Actually, it's in the preview pages already. Uh, she fights the Raging Bull, which is literally one of those bulls that, um, from the like saloons that you go to. But they turned it into like a charging machine that the Salvation Gang has created and tries to fight her with. Which oh, is really fun. It would be That's amazing. Cool. It would be amazing if she defeats it in eight seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. It's been fun figuring out the style differences between what a Moro bot would look like versus what a BB bot would look like versus what a Salvation bot would look like. And they're all meant to be very different. Um, we're actually working on some new designs now that'll be really fun that we introduce later. That's awesome. There is a lot of fun to be had in this book. I know it's tackling some very serious issues, but there is there is a lot of fun to be had. So yeah. I was sucked in immediately when I saw the mech suits. I don't know um, like what what's going to work on everyone, but I'm just I'm obsessed with robots since Transformers, and then that damn robot in the Rocky movie. I've just been <laughs> same, same. Like this was when I pitched it. I was like, okay, you guys are gonna have your superheroes, but this is the robot book. Yeah, and they're like, okay, we're cool with that. And I was like, cool, okay. <laughs> well, even and even with the the kind of heavy issues that are in this first um, issue, they're it's handled so deftly that it doesn't come across as heavy handed or anything. It just fits nicely into the narrative. And it, it is a really exciting first issue that you got here. I can't, I'm so excited that the issue two is out in less than a week. Not, not very long to wait. <laughs> Me too. Issue two, I think is going to be interesting because um, most of the action takes place up front and the rest of it is fallout. Um, so I'm very curious. I'm actually really curious to see what you guys think of issue two. Because um, what I'm almost more worried about issue two than I was in issue one. Cause I see issue one, you know, people might buy it cause it's the number one, but issue two, it's like, okay, you, if you take issue two, then you're, you're in. So how do I want to make sure issue two, I keep you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, honestly, just the preview of like the character designs and knowing your background with power Rangers. Like I think the character design will be at least just enough to keep people coming back. Um, Cause I'm already excited for, for the character designs that we're going to see just in, just in the, the second issue. So hopefully that keeps everyone else coming back too. Thank you. I hope so. I hope so. 
Yeah, I uh, it's it's been on my pull list. I just go through a subscription service through. It's a local place, but they ship them to me, so I get a big oh, box. Yeah, and so I'll just I'll be waiting for that second issue once they complete next month and then ship it to me. But I'm looking for, it'll it'll be at the top of my pull list, and I will definitely be reading issue two. And I'm very I'm excited for you. So and you're doing a Power Rangers book as well. So. Yes, yeah. So Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, I actually was on that book uh, when I was with Saban Brands and Hasbro as like as a licensee or licensor. So I was um, doing the approvals for that with with some other team members. So to be able, so I was there from the very beginning working on those stories. So to be able to take over after Ryan. Ryan is doing issue one hundred. Can you believe it? Like we wow. did a hundred of these issues, and so for me to take um, the book on from issue one hundred one forward, it's a huge honor, um, and I'm really excited for it. And then I also have um, Radiant Pink, which is a mini series uh, that I'm co-writing with uh, Megan Camarena, who is a streamer. Uh, based on that superhero as well, who lives in the Radiant Black universe, who is a part-time streamer. And that'll be really fun. That's a very, a di- very different book because it is a, an influencer who is also a superhero. So she, she comes with a lot of chaos and, um, and, and an ability to, uh, to jump through portals. So it's kind of like sliders meets Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be really fun. Cool. Yeah. Well, it, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Um, and, uh, I, I definitely think that if people are reading Radiant Black, you do need to pick this up. Honestly, I would think that if you've listened to this interview, you're going to want to pick this book up because um, it's got me even more excited for issue two and going onward uh, after hearing some of the teases that you brought to us today. <laughs> if you couldn't it's the tell. the duck tacos, I, right? Yes, it's the yes. tacos. <laughs> <laughs> I came for the food. That's <laughs> 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 but I wanted to thank you so much for spending uh, the past hour talking with us about your, your book, The Dead Lucky. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, and honestly, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I love talking about this book. I can go on for hours. So I won't make you do that. But um, <laughs> but I might just keep talking to the microphone after you guys are done and just hope that somebody's listening. <laughs> is the, are you going back into the character of BB right there? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I mean, it does help. I have animals here, so I pretend I'm talking to them, but no, it's me. I know they're not listening. Oh god. All they hear is food or walks. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> same my cats are the exact same way. They don't love me until I have treats to give them, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you had any. I, if you had anything else that you wanted to plug, a website, anything else, I would be happy to. to oh help. yeah, well you can find me on Misty underscore Flores on Twitter and Instagram, and mistyflores.com is my website. Um, otherwise, just put Dead Lucky on your pull list, please. Put it on your pull, pull list, list. Yeah. and if you love the book, then reach out to her. Let her know that you're reading the book, and I hope yes. hopefully we're going to sell some subscriptions to the book here on the podcast. I think we I have. really hope so. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 